Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 4, reading through verse 6, sets our text for today. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, and him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The days that we are living in can certainly be frightening as we listen to the news, as we see the direction society is going. Unless we have our Bibles beside us, and we understand God's plan, what God is doing, and His awareness of what is going on. Since November 16th of last year, we have focused upon current events in the light of Bible prophecy, in an attempt to better understand not only what God has planned, but how it's all going to work out as we say we've read the end of the book and it comes out all right. But we need to understand as well the things that are occurring on a daily basis when it seems like, well, he missed a good opportunity by not coming this last week. The way things are going and the circumstances that we encounter. But as we understand his plan, it not only provides for us a basis for peace, for we still have our free will, and though we know what he's promised and that it's all going to work out well, we sometimes just don't like the way that he's chosen to do it, though we would immediately recognize that he's all-knowing and his way is always the best way. But not only is this revelation of his plan designed to give us peace, but it's designed to give us motivation for instruction concerning what we ought to be doing on a daily basis. Who would have thought that this godless immorality, rampant crime, blatant injustice, and overt, unapologetic, if you will, politics that are crooked in the very core of them, who would have thought that would have reached this level so quickly as we have observed in the past several years. This depravity is no longer hidden in dark alleys or in smoke-filled back rooms, where deals are being struck, but depravity is now flaunted in public square. We see it in the halls of Congress. We see it in the courtrooms. 
of America and now our children are being taught in the public school against the very core principles upon which this nation was founded. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, people would have been prosecuted and sent to prison for exposing children to the things that they now teach them in the classroom. It's important that we understand then the plan of God because while these things are appalling, God has a plan. And that plan is a marvelous plan and it's been written in the Holy Script proclaimed in the midst of an increasing crescendo of catastrophic events. Jesus is coming again. I know. We've heard that since we ourselves were children, that Jesus is coming again. But never have the circumstances been in such alignment with the prophetic utterances that are found in the Word of God as they are today. We've been exposed to that in the past year as we have gone through these prophetic writings to understand what's happening today and the plan of God. There are no prophetic events that must yet be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. That could occur at any moment and we are tempted to say even so come Lord Jesus. The only reason we would utter such a statement would be because we know the future and we know that His coming is going to give us those things that we have been exposed to in the study of prophecy over the past year. The rapture of the church is imminent, and it will launch then that seven-year countdown of events that we have identified as the tribulation that are described in the book of Revelation. They will then be fulfilled. Today's current events document the preparation for those final events that are going to be initiated by the rapture of the church. Two stages are being ready. One in heaven and one here on the earth. And uh, each day the props are being placed on those stages and each day the people in the news reveal the selection of the cast of actors and actresses that are going to play out that final drama that we call the tribulation. We have been through those prophetic utterances and now as we draw this study to a close, uh, it would be good that we would go back and review the things that we have seen as it relates to the plan of God. And so the outline is only six pages, but each point could take, did take in the past year considerable time to explain. And so I'm going to rely upon your memory as we relate to these things and simply refresh that memory with the events of God's plan 
as they are revealed from the creation to the end of time. It all began in eternity past and what we have identified as the angelic conflict. Isaiah chapter 14 verses 13 and 14 document some of that for us about Lucifer's revolt in heaven, his subsequent sentencing to the lake of fire and brimstone, and then his appeal of his case that brought about the creation of man and the events to which we have been exposed. Isaiah chapter 14 verse 13 says, Speaking of Lucifer the angel, Thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will be like the Most High. There came a point of time before time began. There came an incident in heaven where Satan decided that he would take God's place. And that angelic conflict resulted in a lake of fire and brimstone being prepared for the devil and his angels before the foundation of the earth, but not inhabited as we have seen until the end of time. And uh, then that sentence will be executed. Satan's appeal to his sentencing of the lake of fire and brimstone was that God was unjust. And so God created man and placed man here upon the earth as a testimony of His amazing grace, of the attributes that form His essence or being, of His being exonerated. And as time runs out, then that appeal will have been settled and we will find then at that point the execution with the lake of fire and brimstone and the moving into a timeless eternity forever with God. If we don't understand the angelic conflict, we'll not understand the plan of God. Why salvation? Why suffering? Why do we have evil in the world today? It's understanding this angelic conflict that sets the stage for us. And so we spent some time on that. And I would refer you to your notes on it. With the fall of Satan and the sentencing of Satan and the appeal of his case, God created man. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. God created a, a life form in his own image, yet a little lower than the angels, the Bible says, in order that man might experience death. Angels do not experience death. And so man was created a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. And then uh, man was appointed uh, 
to have dominion over the earth that God had created. God gave man that life here upon the earth and all that the earth was simply instructing him to go forth and to subdue the earth and have dominion over to rule over it. And God gave him a garden and in that garden was contained everything that was necessary for life and even for the pleasures of life that were given to him, to mankind. And yet in the midst of the garden were two trees that are specifically identified. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil gave man an opportunity to make the same choice that Satan made. Satan said to the woman, Has God given you free access to all the trees that are in the garden? And she said, Well, all but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we're not to eat of it or we will die. And Satan said to the woman, no, you'll not die. God knows that when you eat of that tree, you will become like him. And we are told that the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and that it was desired to make one wise. So she took of the fruit and ate of it and gave also to her husband and he did eat. We could park there for a while and remind you that by the choice that Adam made to eat of the forbidden fruit, he was deserting the plan that God had whereby he could eat of all the fruits and, and the trees of the garden, and whereby he could have dominion over the earth. He would be reliant and dependent upon God, but he bought into Satan's suggestion to become like God instead of depending on God, to know good and evil himself and thus be like God, and in violation of the single negative commandment that God had given, he ate of the forbidden fruit. And in that moment, he died spiritually, and in that moment, he had an appointment with destiny to die physically as well. The fall of man was man exercising the same negative free will toward God that Lucifer the fallen angel we know as Satan or the devil or the dragon exercise to be like God. And so God, knowing that all this was going to come to pass, had prepared a means of redemption. A means that not only would redeem man, but it would show the character of God. It would show the grace plan that God had offered angels at some point and now was offering man created a little lower than the angels. The plan of God was revealed that day in some short utterances 
that man ate of the forbidden fruit because when the Lord questioned man about having eaten of the forbidden fruit, man passed the buck. He said, well, the woman you gave me, well, she's the one that gave that fruit to me and I ate of it. So he addresses the woman and she said, the serpent beguiled me, deceived me, and I ate of the fruit. And so he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. The plan of God revealed that the seed of the woman would have victory and would triumph over Satan. Now this revelation to Satan that he was going to be destroyed or overcome by the seed of the woman caused Satan then to destroy or attempt to destroy the plan of God by attacking the seed of the woman. He tempted Cain to kill his brother Abel. Understanding that the sovereignty of God and the justice of God would cause call for a a penalty for Cain. Surely that would be death if he could kill both Cain and Abel. The seed of the woman could not triumph over him, but God intervened, and so Satan made another attack. In the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis, we are given information about this attack on the part of Satan and the fallen angels to infiltrate the human race so that the race would no longer be pure human. It would be half angel and half human. And therefore the seed of the woman could not triumph over him. And so God had to destroy all life upon the earth except for that that portion that was redeemed and placed in the ark and kept safe and restarted life upon planet earth. From the attack on the on Cain and Abel, we went to the angelic infiltration of humanity. And then when God revealed that it was going to be through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, and Joseph, the husband of Mary, and then Christ himself, Satan pinpointed his attack upon those. Abraham became the focal of attack. Isaac became the focal of attack. Jacob became the focal of attack. Joseph became the focal of attack. Moses became the focal of attack. David became the focal of attack. And then it would seem that in the line of David, the devil had prevailed for there was a descendant of David by the name of Jeconiah, sometimes just referred to as Caniah, that God said, none of your seed will ever sit upon the throne. It would seem that God had boxed himself in because he had said it was going to be through the seed of David and the seed of David through Solomon and now 
that line had been cut off so that none of their seed could ever sit upon the throne. But God, in His omniscience and in His marvelous character, had provision so that Mary, a virgin, would conceive and bear the Redeemer, the Christ child. And Joseph, in the line of David, through the line of Solomon, a descendant of Jeconiah, his physical seed was not this offspring, but his acceptance of Jesus as his son gave him the right to the throne without the physical seed. And God bypassed that going through another son of David in the descendancy of Mary so that physically he descended from David and authoritatively as king with its rights he descended from David through Solomon leapfrogging the curse of Jeconiah and the Messiah became alive upon the earth. In preparation for that which was going to come to pass, God revealed His plan to the patriarchs. The Lord in Genesis 12.1 had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, and I will make of thee a great nation. God established a covenant with Abram at that point. And in that covenant would be the redemption of mankind through the deliverance of a Savior who would be Christ the Lord. Abram had a covenant with God. Isaac became the heir of that covenant and the line through which that Messiah would come. Jacob <clears throat> had a, uh, a very vivid uh, demonstration of the grace of God and God's grace for salvation when there were two brothers, uh, twins as they were, Esau and Jacob. And Esau seems to be from a human realm the better of the two, the word Jacob itself means a supplanter or one who would uh, trick you up. And uh, yet, he in his childlike faith turned to the amazing grace of God while Esau took that same road that Satan took and that Adam took of being independent of God and so Jacob became a demonstration of God's amazing grace. And from Jacob we have Joseph, and we have supernatural provision is revealed to humankind before, uh, by the life of Joseph. And through Joseph we come to Moses and the deliverance and revelation. In each of these patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph and Moses, God revealed a portion of His plan. But then the plan became very clear and very vividly taught in the ritual that was revealed through the choosing of Israel as a nation 
and the giving to Israel of the law of God. We are told in Exodus chapter 19, verse 2, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mount, saying, Thou shalt not. We have the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots then that introduce to us the law of God. <clears throat> and in the law of God is revealed to us the plan of God. And in the plan of God is revealed to us the character and the grace of God and the provision that we have for eternity. The plan was revealed in the law that is divided into three sections. The moral law established God's standard of behavior with the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots. 605 specific commands that are addressed as thou shalt or thou shalt not. And by it we are able to know God's standard of behavior. The ceremonial law that involved all the sacrifices and the ritual, the holy days and the peace days, uh, that was given in order that man might understand the amazing grace of God. The ceremonial law taught grace from its very concept uh, until the final fulfillment of that at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. The civil law was given then to protect Israel's national integrity and that they might be then the ones to take as God's missionary agency the good news of redemption and of grace to all of mankind. The plan then became initiated as the law had pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the earth, we find then He was born in Bethlehem of Judea. So that Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 along with John chapter 1 verse 14 declares, Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And through that we had the virgin birth that bypassed the imputed sin of Adam and the sinful nature and gave uh, a new chance to humanity. We had the sinless life of Christ who in His obedience to the Father remained obedient and sinless. We had the sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary whereby he paid our debt, having no debt of his own. He took ours upon him and died in our behalf. We had the victorious resurrection where the grave could not hold him. But three days and three nights later, he came out of the grave victoriously alive. We had the glorious ascension some 40 days later when he ascended to his Father in heaven to go and prepare a place for us, so that He could come and receive us unto Himself. We have His sending the Holy Spirit and the spiritual equipping that He gives you and I to live according to the standard of God 
and to live out the design of his plan for us in his plan of redemption for mankind. We have in the current time his continual intercession on our behalf as he's seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede and defend each of us in every accusation that Satan brings. And we have, as we have clearly seen, the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The plan was initiated through the incarnation of God becoming flesh and living among us. The virgin birth, the sinless life, the sacrificial death, the victorious resurrection, the glorious ascension, the spiritual equipping, the continual intercession, and praise God, the soon coming. The plan was revealed then through the church and through the commission given to the church. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 and Ephesians 3, 10. Go ye therefore, and literally the Greek says, as you are being taken, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. To the intent then, he's speaking of the church, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. The angels are learning of the plan of God as they see it played out in God's grace provision for the church and as we live out that design. And so the prophecy concerning the church is given in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. It began with the church at Ephesus representing the church from 30 A.D. to 160 A.D. It was followed by the guidelines submitted concerning the church at Smyrna where there was persecution and the sweet aroma of conviction and and of uh, steadfastness to God is given to us in the example of the church at Smyrna, representing the church from 160 A.D. to 312 A.D. That led then to an illicit marriage where the Roman emperor married the Christian church to his government, to the Roman government. And Pergamos means an illicit marriage, and that occurred in 312 A.D. and went up to about 600 A.D. And then the Thyatira period of the church age where their grace of God was deemed no longer sufficient. There needed to be a program of works. There needed to be a program of sacrifice. And so Thyatira means a continual sacrifice. And from 600 A.D. to 1516 A.D., the gospel had become perverted in a system of works instead of grace. But then we came to that period called the church at Sardis in 1517 and going up to about 1750. Sardis means a called out remnant and there came a remnant being called out of the perversion of the church in that period of time with Martin Luther nailing a, a 99 theses to the door of the uh, church in Wittenberg, Germany 
and uh, the renovation of doctrine was underway with what we have identified as the Reformation. That led to the setting of the stage for evangelism and love in the gospel of grace and provision of God so that from 1750 to about 1950 we had the Philadelphian age of spiritual awakenings and of the greatness of the grace of God. But there's a final period of the church history that was forecast and proclaimed in Revelation chapter 3, and that's the Laodicean period. And we entered that period probably around 1945-1950 at the latest. And as a result of that, there has been a departure from the focus of God and His amazing grace upon the throne it has focused now upon humanity and social programs and human kindness. And you see how miserably that's failed in the world today. That's the period of time in which the rapture will occur. And we await it any moment. In Revelation chapters 4 and 5, we saw the church in heaven when Christ will come and call the redeemed of the church age up out of this earth. And as the bridegroom cometh for his bride, he will take us to his father's house where he is now preparing a place for us. That where he is, there we might be also. And so in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, we have the church in its place of worship and, and in its marriage with the Lamb in heaven. And then that ushers in God's plan that has been revealed in the Old Testament prophets and in the book of Revelation, the completion of a of Israel's administration. When God called out Israel as a nation and made uh, his covenant with them by giving them the law, uh, the commandments that relate to morality and the instruction that taught the grace of God in the ceremonial law and in the government uh, of themselves as a nation and their protection. God promised them through one of their prophets by the name of Daniel that he was going to give them a second chance. He took them out of the land into captivity in Babylon for some 70 years. But he said, I'm going to let them go back and they're going to have another 490 years in which they will be my administrators. The church is going to be taken out and that period of the final seven years of the 490 will take place. Daniel wrote about it this way. He said, While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I have seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. That would be the evening sacrifice. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth 
to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks. That would be seventy weeks of years. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So we have 490 years that are being identified here. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. Unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. You don't have time to break that down. Remember that when he speaks of a week, he's speaking of a week of seven uh, years. Uh, it's week of years. And so he said there are going to be uh, 49 years of trouble. And uh, then there will be peace. But at 483 years, the Messiah will be cut off. The Messiah will be killed. And then there is that final week. Well, we identify it as the 70th week of Daniel. That's the completion of the Jewish administration. That's what we have detailed, given to us, beginning in the 6th chapter of the book of Revelation through the 19th chapter. In chapter 5 of Revelation we are given to see a seven-seal scroll that is the key to understanding the book of Revelation. In the first seal, there is a white horse that represents a period of dictatorship. In the second seal, there is a red horse which represents a period of warfare. In the third seal, there is a black horse which represents a period of famine. In the fourth seal, there is a pale horse which represents a period of death. The fifth seal identifies the martyrdom of the tribulational believers. The sixth seal revealed the natural and celestial catastrophes that occur during that period of time. In Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 10, we have then events during the first half of the tribulation, that is the first three and a half years. The first four seal judgments, the first four trumpet judgments, and evangelism in that three and a half year period by the 144,000 Jewish 
evangelist. In chapter 11, we skip to the end where we have the revelation of the return of Christ to the earth. But in chapter 12 and 13, we go back in a parenthesis to fill in some details. It introduces the chief participants during the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years. It's in chapter 14 through chapter 19, verse 11, that we have the detail concerning the last half of the tribulation, the what is called the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years of that seven-year period. We have the last three seal judgments, the last three trumpet judgments. We have the seven vile judgments. And evangelism during that period of time will be done by the two special witnesses, Moses and Elijah. In chapter 19, beginning at verse 11 through 21, we have the second coming of Christ. In chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, we have the binding of Satan in the bottomless pit for the thousand years of the millennial reign of Christ. In chapter 20, verses 7 and 9 through 9, Satan is defeated in his final attempt as he's released from that prison and he attempts to overthrow God and he is defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. God has revealed his plan to us. He has a plan that's going to be fulfilled then with a new heaven and a new earth and no longer time. Chapter 20, verses 10 through 15, a new heaven and a new earth are visioned and the great white throne judgment occurs. And then in chapters 21 and 22, eternity and the expectations of what God has prepared for us in those days. This has been the plan of God from eternity past. And we live in an age in which these stages are quickly being prepared for the final drama. Jesus is coming again. Peter, in his second epistle, addresses that. He says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, because of these things, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, is written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, 
as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That will be our text as we conclude this series next week we'll focus then on what manner of persons we ought to be and what our confidence and technique of knowledge and application detail for us but it all begins with salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So don't just be ready. Be ready, but don't just be ready. Be about our Father's business until He comes.